Welcome to the Behind the Service Podcast. Hey listeners, welcome back to Behind the Service Podcast. Today, we're going to cover a complex topic that a lot of us struggle with, which is anxiety. There's so many military families, really society in general, that struggles with anxiety. So we're going to learn how to combat that in order to be well by learning how to heal our nervous systems by aligning the mind, body, and spirit, and to get unstuck. So we are joined by Alyssa Solinger. And Alyssa is a licensed professional counselor turned entrepreneur. After creating the Physio Life Transformation Program, she shows high achieving professionals how to unstuck themselves from the hold of anxiety and walk them through how to build a life that is aligned with their values, purpose, and goals. So thanks for being here today, Alyssa. Yes, thank you so much for having me. So can you let our listeners know a little bit more about you, about your story, and why you decided to do the work that you do as a coach? Sure, of course. So there's two trains of thought in terms of how I got here. The very short version is in high school, it was just always curious, probably even before high school, but curious why people did the things that they did, why they acted the way they did, how their experiences and perspectives and just how everything worked together to create behavior. And In the field of psychology slash mental health, they often say that research is me search, which was completely true. I was in high school getting ready to take my first AP psychology class, and I'm sure I was going through the midst of heartbreak at the time, and I wanted to understand why, dang it. So that's where it started. (laughs) And then eventually just be really fascinated by psychology and where I thought I was going to end up along the way has changed countless of times. And that's partially just because I'm a multi-passionate person, but I ended up getting into therapy itself just because of, like I said before, a lot of research is me search. I've had a lot of my own experiences that I've worked through and I wanted to be able to be an empathic ear and support for someone else going through anything else, whether it's worse or not as bad as what I went through, it doesn't matter because pain is pain, trauma is trauma, it looks different for everyone. And so for me personally, a lot of mine was anxiety related. And I can give you a million different examples of how anxiety was woven into different aspects of my life. But I think that the most debilitating anxiety cycle that I had was in terms of relationships, which I feel like I had already alluded to that by the fact that, like I said, it was definitely all started from being like 15 and having my heart broken. But I grew up harvesting what I call, I call harvesting a attachment disorder. Attachment disorders typically come from unmet needs in childhood. And by no means were my parents bad parents. My family is amazing to this day. They're amazing, but they're human beings just like everyone else. and. There are flaws that come with that. And that's, I've always had the compassion for both of my parents for the ways that they had fallen short. And it is what it is. And that's okay. But in the process, I developed 
what is referred to as an anxious attachment style. So that if you're growing up in an unpredictable environment, you're growing up in an environment where you're walking on eggshells, you're not really sure what kind of a reaction you're going to get from your parents. They're not really able to emotionally regulate themselves. So they can't really emotionally regulate you or try to teach you how to. So in the process, I ended up being the savior in a sense. And I'm sure if I said that word to my parents, they'd laugh at me. But (laughs) now as a child, I was always very empathic and sensitive and caring. And I was naturally very nurturing. And I feel that was reinforced as it should, because that's a really great trait and quality to have. But in the process, as I mentioned, I didn't learn emotional regulation. I learned that my emotions were invalid and that I should be only validating other people's emotions. I'm sure that's not the message my family wanted me to pick up on, but that was the message that I picked up on. And so that was reactivated in a lot of my relationships. I formed trauma bonds, mistook them for genuine love. I was being mistreated and settling for breadcrumbs whenever I probably could have had a lot more, but I didn't realize that I was comfortable with breadcrumbs. And so I made it way too easy for the wrong people to come in and just treat me like a doormat. And it it really took until I was forced to be alone through big breakups and uncomfortable and unsuccessful bumble dates. (laughs) Eventually, I had to face myself. I had to be alone. And I think that that was part of God's plan for me. I think that he wanted me to be alone in that time to heal some of those things. Because if you take the same bricks from the old house and use them to build a new house, you're building the same house. So I needed to step away re-establish my relationship with myself, my relationship with God, and rebuild that foundation. Mm. took a lot of trial and error and a lot of time, and that's a forever process. I am still doing that. I have a lot of experience under my belt in the process, and so I want to be able to do the same thing for other people. I love that so much. We don't recognize what the effects are of childhood if you grow up in a childhood that was maybe not so great. Or it could have been great, but the influences that our parents or our caregivers have had on us. And I think the more that psychologists, counselors, people that are coaching people delve into that trauma, that there are past childhood traumas that can affect relational issues and so forth. So I think it's so good that we're seeing more of that, I feel like, in society, that we're focusing more on trauma-based therapies and things like that. So good. So what are some of the main contributors to anxiety in America? I mean, like, look at the world around us, right? It's so crazy right now, politically, socially, all the things. But what are some main contributors to that? Oh, absolutely. The question is almost what is not contributing? But what are those those big ones? And I feel like a lot of it starts with corporate America. I feel like that's a really good place to to see where how they the, how it trickles down from there. So we glorify busyness over productivity, over purpose, over joy, over values. If you were to walk into a corporate office Monday morning and be like, oh, wow, last week was so great. I clocked in on time every day. I left on time every day. I got eight to nine hours of sleep drank a gallon of water every day, exercise. You know, if you went through all these things, these basic physiological things that we're supposed to be doing, people would look at you like, oh, must be nice. 
there's almost like that we glorify burnout mm. in culture and we don't support each other around eliminating the things that are contributing to burnout. Instead, we feel like we're never doing it. Yes. So we're just constantly burnout rather Do you than think that's a trauma response. Yes. A yes. thousand percent. Yeah. And I feel like a big contributor to burnout itself is fear of man, which it took until one of my connection groups at my church to make this connection. And I was just mind blown. People pleasing is fear of man. Yeah. Oh, someone said that. And I was, that really changes perspective for me because there's a lot of talk around what is kindness? What is people pleasing? Where do boundaries fall in? And we make a lot of the decisions we make based on because we're afraid of how other people are going to respond or how they're going to see us because of it. The only only one we're supposed to be fearing is the creator himself. That's what I was just getting ready to say. We need to be fearful of what he thinks, not what everybody else thinks. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. And so then we also get stuck into the culture of what everyone else thinks. So going back to that example, walk into a corporate office and tell everyone that you left on time and didn't work the entire weekend that you were supposed to be off. They wouldn't want to hear you bragging about that. Yeah, (laughs) right. Bragging about how you took Sunday off to actually go to church or to spend time in the word. Our society is really trying to reinforce a lot of the wrong things, reinforce the things that keep us sick. Yes. And the things that are going to free us. So absolutely just, like I said, I feel like a lot of it stems from corporate America, but I think that trickles down into other places of our lives. People pleasing, fear of man coming from trauma and exactly generational trauma, child trauma. I could go on about both of those. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Another thing that contributes to our anxiety, what keeps us stuck in that cycle is we try to suppress our anxiety with vices. And typically it's things that that do go against what God wants us to do. So we want things that are going to make the feeling go away immediately. So that's drugs, alcohol, sex, anger, gambling, people pleasing. We get stuck in this cycle of feeling so empty. And so that that burnout cycle to go even a step further. So there are many people that suffer in silence, right? When they go through struggles for a variety of reasons, like you said, fear of man, fear of judgment, fear of possibly perceiving to be weak. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 2.9 that God's grace is all that we need and that his power works best in our weakness. And he can use our weaknesses to strengthen us, which... I love that you've done, right? That you've turned your pain into a purpose. And that's exactly what you're doing with your coaching business, with the career that you decided to choose. So why did you decide to use your pain that you have experienced in your life with anxiety to help others? I think that you had said it perfectly because I am a huge advocate that pain is purpose. And I feel that is something that is mentioned a lot throughout scripture. And one reason that God does give us for the pain that we experience is to glorify. We can't see a miracle happen if we're already thriving. We need to be in the darkness for the light to shine the brightest. Mm. And so I felt like I had two options. I could either say I have so many life regrets or wasted so much time in my life, et cetera. I could have all these negative thoughts that just would keep me bitter and maybe not move forward. 
maybe move forward. Or I could use all of that as learning experience. And I can use all of that as wisdom. And I can show others what I've learned, help them work through that. And I can tell others, hey, come and see. Come and see how much emotional freedom comes from giving your life to God and taking care of your mental health at the same time. And I, I think it's in that middle, those middle parts, right? Or in the dry desert parts where you're like, okay, I know that I'm supposed to learn a lesson here, Lord. So teach me what that is. And I think that he uses those moments in the middle of the struggle or the trial to help us to become stronger, right? So that we can rely more on him in all of that we do, right? Yeah, yeah because we always have two options when going through a storm. We can say, why me or God, what, what do you want me to learn from this? This mm-hmm. is worth something. And if we're always looking for the message or the purpose, then it's there. It's Absolutely. always there. But whenever we don't, then we, yeah, we just choose not to see it. And yes. then you live in that cycle. You continue to live in that cycle of toxic thinking, toxic thoughts, negativity, all those things. Exactly. And it breeds resentment and bitterness and regret and Mm. All the things that none of us want to be carrying with us for the rest of our lives. I agree. All right. So why do you think people hide their pain and suffer in silence? I think it all comes down to the stigma around mental health as an umbrella term. Because there's not that same stigma with physical health. People are afraid that others aren't going to understand. And we have certain emotions in human nature, like shame and anxiety and guilt. Because they are supposed to serve as a moral compass to connect with others and to build love, community, and intimacy. And so if we think that there's something wrong with us, then we're going to shy away from it. We're going to say, I'm not worthy of that, or I don't have anything to give. And that creates its own vicious cycle of isolation, mm-hmm. which the enemy absolutely loves. Right. For if you had like a big gash or something on your arm, I'm sure I could think of a much better example. If you had a big gash on your arm, you're probably going to wear long sleeves to try to hide it up. But if you're in an environment where everyone has a big gash on their arm and it's, it's just living their lives exposed, not centering their lives around it, then you're the one that looks a little weird for trying to cover it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then if you're, if you recognize that everybody has that gash, Right. Everybody has those scars and we're all dealing with our own traumas, our own issues, all of our own struggles and are in our own way. And if we show people grace and compassion and understanding, gosh, the world would be such a better place. Right. If we realize that everybody deals with their own struggles in their own way, then when we should be showing grace and coming around alongside of them. Right. To to help in those times of struggle and those pains where they are maybe silent about the struggles that they have. So I think that's so important. Yeah, definitely. And we are afraid to be vulnerable, but whenever you are, when you take that step to say, hey, I'm going to speak the truth without Mm. fear of what that's going to look like, you then give others the opportunity and the space to do the same. And that can create a really amazing chain reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree on that. It's so important to lean on your friends, your family, your communities in those times where we can manage our anxieties. Because I know within my own life, if I isolate myself, if I don't share, I feel like the storm rolls on longer and longer. If you 
share those burdens. We are to share our burdens with our fellow man um, so that we can carry that burden, although Christ carried the ultimate burden for us. But it is beautiful that we can share in community with our friends, our family, our spouses, and open up those vulnerable parts of us so that we can heal and thrive in a better way. Exactly. Silence only reinforces isolation and trauma and being stuck in that pain. Because when we can speak about our experience out loud with others, that's when we start to heal. Because hiding those feelings takes up so much energy. And the more that we try to ignore them, the more they're going to seep out in ways that we can't control. Whether that's, you know, an anger outburst or... Yeah, whatever. Like just things that you don't, then that create that anxiety, shame, and guilt. Right. That is a time where, sure, it makes sense to feel those things. But if we're channeling our emotions appropriately and effectively, then we can just heal from them rather than let them come out in ways that don't align with our values. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So what are some ways to manage anxiety and burnout? What are some ways to do that in a healthy way versus unhealthy ways. So I feel like the re- like a really good place to start is getting over the fear of man, getting over the fear of man, because once we're able to make our time our own, then that opens up a lot more doors for us to overcome anxiety and burnout. But whenever we give our time to anyone and everyone without hesitation or making sure it fits in your schedule or it's actually something that you even want to be doing, something that actually pulls you up. If it's something that's only draining you, then you don't have the energy for the things that you do want to be doing. Right. Putting really good boundaries around your time and your energy and your emotions is a really good place to start. Second, overall, just maintaining the physiological health. That is so important. Our mind and our body are connected and so our body is always trying to send messages to our mind. More often than not, we have headaches because we're stressed or we're tired or we're hungry or we're thirsty. But what do we do? We take a Tylenol and we keep it, keep it moving. Keep it moving, yeah. Yeah, we're just putting Band-Aids on it rather than getting to the actual problem. Um, and then in addition, another resource that I think that can be really helpful if used appropriately is writing. When you write to yourself, you expose things that you might be trying to avoid. And once you bring exposure to some of those things and bring awareness, that is when you can start making intentional decisions and actions to try to overcome whatever it is that's keeping you blocked. So definitely writing. That will really reinforce the mind-body connection as well, like meditation, mindfulness, exercise, yoga, any of that, anything that helps you build tolerance for discomfort and gets your body moving. Our emotions and our traumas get stuck in our bodies. So if we're able to move them, that reduces our cortisol levels, increases our endorphins. And the more that we're able to get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable, the more resilient we're going to be. And then tapping into scripture, I believe that the word of God is such a healing way to deal with the anxieties and things like that, going to the word and searching through scripture. So I think it's so so good as well. So what causes anxiety disorders to develop? Is it just from unprocessed trauma? So in a sense, yeah, I guess that's one way that you could put it for sure. Overall, it is a faulty amygdala. So the amygdala is the part in our prefrontal cortex that is kind of like the smoke detector. 
And when we have an anxiety disorder, that's like your smoke detector, like having low battery or being broken. We're just constantly beeps. And so it just becomes frustrating. It's debilitating because it's all you hear. And you, everyone knows what it's like to have a dying smoke detector in your house. And only have to explain it. That's kind of what's going on in your body. So your amygdala is always searching for danger or perceived danger. Anything that is going to make us feel like our safety, our well-being, our connection to ourselves and to others, anything that makes any of that feel threatened. And there are some people, unfortunately, who are born with just a little bit more of an overactive amygdala, people who are born highly sensitive. I'm a highly sensitive person. So if you're a highly sensitive person, you have an overactive amygdala. And so that is where your smoke detector is. That's your emotional regulation. So you can see how if your smoke detector is always beeping, how that can be really impairing in daily life, especially when there's no danger actually around. Yeah. And listeners, we've had an episode about that and about the stellate ganglion block that you can get if you suffer from PTSD, anxiety symptoms, it resets that sympathetic nervous system. So it helps to recenter you. I had it done and it's just amazing. The results, my husband had it done as well. And I know that they use that for a lot of our veterans. So check that out. There's an episode. If you go back to one of the episodes, you can be able to tune into that. So what does it mean to experience the mind-body connection? Because the mind-body connection can refer to how we're thinking, our outlook, all of those things. So what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So just that our mind and our body are constantly sending signals to each other. Like I said, a lot of times if our mental health is struggling, we're going to see that in some of the annoying physiological sensations. So yeah, if you're stressed you might have insomnia. If you have a lot of anxiety or unprocessed trauma, insomnia, headaches, fatigue, all of those things, our body is constantly trying to talk to us through headaches, inflammation, illness in general. And again, we're just putting band-aids on it. So if we were to actually sit back and connect with our bodies and listen to what it is trying to tell us, then we can have a little bit more control over what is happening to us, or we can at least put a little bit more of a perspective to it. And that's going to change how we respond to it. So if our brains are constantly being assaulted by our thoughts, then we're not really able to communicate well. We're not really in touch with our bodies and we can't really understand what our body is trying to tell us. So the more that we can try to meet our body's needs, the easier it'll be for us to understand our emotional and psychological needs. That's good. So mindset, right? That's all about mindset, really. Listeners, mindset is everything. It can be easy to let fears and worry and the anxieties, doubt get in the way of progressing towards your goals, but we can move forward victoriously. First Peter 5, 7 out of the New Living Translation says, cast all your cares on him. So whatever worries or anxieties that you are facing, know that you can go to God and he will be able to work through those with you. He sends the Holy Spirit to work in and through our lives, through the pain points that we do experience. So if you're interested in learning more about Alyssa, you can email her at alyssa.thechangeco at gmail.com or visit her website to sign up for a coaching session. She also has a link on there to download a free ebook as well as book a free discovery call for the physio life transformation program to overcome anxiety and overwhelm 
Alyssa, did you have anything else that you'd like to add that maybe we left off or didn't have time to discuss? The only thing that I feel is really important to mention after everything we talked about, especially with how our body is trying to communicate things to us often, we don't always have to be aware of our traumas for them to still affect us. So there is a whole book written about this called The Body Keeps the Score, where our experiences get stored in our nervous system. We don't have to remember them, but our bodies do. Mm -hmm. So if our anxiety starts to rile up and we're not really, we can't make that direct connection of, okay, this person said this and it triggered a memory of when this person said this and bad things happened. It's awesome when we can make that connection. We can't always make the connection. That doesn't mean that there isn't one. So that, again, is where it gets really important to channel some writing, some mindfulness, some meditation and getting in touch with your body to try to really understand what it is that it's trying to let you know so that you can answer it. And that's that's so good. That I pass. (laughs) That's so good. That's so good. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you coming on and sharing with our listeners the work that you're doing. And listeners, go over and subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend who that you think may benefit from this conversation today. 